everybody. My name is Hannah, and I get to talk to you guys today. Um, I'm pretty excited, um, and before I get into what exactly it is I'm talking about, um, yeah, I just wanted to share a quick kind of funny story about how I got to figuring out what it is that we're going to engage in today. And that is that when I was asked to speak a few weeks ago, I said, okay. So I started praying and I started asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to the people of Midtown? What is it you're speaking? And I started getting a sense of what that was, but I didn't have a text. I didn't have a verse. Um, And so I was praying and I was trying to listen to the Lord. Lord, what is it you want to say? And I started getting really frustrated because I couldn't hear from the Lord. And so out of frustration one night, I was sitting in silence for a while. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to close my eyes, I'm gonna grab my Bible, and I just opened it up, and I went. And guys, it totally worked. Like, I landed on something pretty good. I think the Lord was just humoring me for a little bit, but truly, where I landed, um, I felt like it aligned with the sense of what God was leading me to speak about So I'm excited to engage um, in the book of Titus with you guys today. And before we get into the verse, I want to paint some context of what exactly is going on. So Titus is right after 2 Timothy, right before Philemon. And it's a super short letter from Paul. It's only two pages in my Bible. And what is going on in this text is we have Paul who was someone who used to persecute Christians, used to kill them, anti-Christian, was converted and had a miraculous experience with the Lord, totally renewed. Now he goes around doing missionary work and spreading the gospel of Christ to different places. He was also mobilizing different leaders to engage in building house churches. He was doing some pretty awesome work. So this is where we find ourselves in Titus. Paul has journeyed to the island of Crete, which is off the shore of Greece, and he's working with someone named Titus. And what they're doing on this island is planting house churches and raising up elders and leaders to teach and bring the good news to this people on this island. But they came into a little bit of a snag. The people of Crete were... Oh, there's no kind way to say this. Um, They were very violent people. They were very self-indulged. They were selfish. And they were known for being liars. There was even a saying back in the day that kind of went like, oh, you're untrustworthy, you must be a Cretan. So they were known for these things of being as people almost of chaos. And these are the people that Paul and Titus are working with. And so I began to question, like, okay, cool. Like, is this just, you know, humanity? Like, they're just really evil people, and that's how they got to be this way? But after digging into it a little bit more, I found out that the people on Crete actually believed that Zeus, our mythological god, was born on Crete, on this island. And again, they were getting influence from Greece, so all of this was just really big for them during this time. But that's where the influence was coming from. And who was Zeus? Zeus was this god of thunder and might, and you picture him with his beard. But he was also a womanizer and selfish 
and a liar. So these people who are living on Crete are devoting themselves to this God who is known for all of these terrible things, but they're worshiping him, they're idolizing him, they're devoted to him, and that is what's causing inside of them to be a people who are also portraying the same exact features as Zeus. They inherited this into their hearts, and that's what led out to be this culture, this crazy, chaotic culture of violent people. So how does this affect the house churches? Again, I'm still painting a picture of what's happening in Titus. Why did Paul write this letter? Well, Paul ended up having to leave for a little bit and commissioned Titus to stay on the island, and he said, finish out the work that we've been doing. Continue to plant house churches, continue to teach. But what Titus started to notice is that people, the Christians that were there, were beginning to fall a little bit wayward. They were getting to this place of, okay, wait, you taught us this kind of truth, but my culture that I grew up in is teaching this kind of truth. Like, where's, where's the line again? They were forgetting the truth about who God was. And the biggest problem is that they started to ask the question, okay, how does Zeus God compare with this true God that you're talking about? Where's the intersect? But the thing is, there was no intersect. They were two different people and two different things. This God wasn't real. This God was. This God's a liar. This God's trustworthy. But they couldn't figure out what exactly was going on. And so Titus had to go in And he started to have to unravel these false ideas that these Christians were believing. And it didn't help that there was also false teachers who were rampant all over this island, teaching things that weren't true. So these poor Christians are just being pulled left and right. Culture is just telling them one thing, but they remember this truth and it's telling them something else. It was hard. And it's hard when you are committing your life to the Lord and trying to live as Jesus did, and your society and your culture is doing something totally opposite. I think that's pretty relatable to where we are today in our society. So, Paul writes this letter to Titus, and he says, hey, we know what's going on on this island. We know what's going on in the people Here's what I need you to do. I need you to remind the people to do good. Because Cretans are over here looking at Christians and saying, you don't look any different than us. Come on, you're talking about some God who's changed your life or you're living some way. But in reality, you look exactly like me. What is the difference between a Cretan and a Christian? I don't know. And so that's the snag. That's the holdup. So Paul is telling Titus Remind the people to live radically different than the way that this culture is living. We need to go hardcore, radically different. Because this way of living needs to look totally different. Their life on the outside needs to match the life behind closed doors in their household. So he encourages in this letter, he's telling Titus, remind the people to live a blameless life. Remind the people to live rightly and promote right teaching and to do what is good. It is so simple. And that's the verse that I want to read from. 
right now. So you have all this context. You know these people now. You know where they're coming from. You know why Paul's writing this letter. And this is where my finger landed on. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. So I want to break this down a little bit for you guys. I think it's important to note that the first thing that's in this passage is for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. It is grace that we walk out of. It is grace that transforms us. It is the grace of God that should lead us in our lifestyle. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. That's really hard to do. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I can sometimes have black and white thinking of like, oh, I have to do really good or I'm doing something really bad. But I think this is more of an encouragement rather than, hey, you need to do, turn from godless living and simple pleasures. It's, hey, remember, grace of God. Like, we want to turn from, from godless living. We want to turn away from simple pleasures because it's beneficial not just for us but for our relationships with those around us. It's an invitation and an instruction. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I think when Paul was saying that, it's this idea that these Cretans and the Christians who were engaging this culture at the time, they were having a hard time figuring out where do we fit. The culture we grew up in has been this way for so long, and we're trying to be different. What do we do? They could either assimilate and go back to their old ways, or they could wage war against the culture, and they could fight, and they could say, you're wrong, and point fingers. But Paul's invitation right here in his letter is saying, wisdom. You can choose the middle route. There is a third road, and that is to wisely participate in culture. And from this, I think is cool is that we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, devotion to God. Wisdom, you think your head, right? Righteousness, I don't know about you, but when I know something's wrong, I feel it in my gut. And righteousness is just another word for rightness. So it's a, it's a conviction, it's a moral compass. So you got wisdom, you got righteousness, and devotion to God. Devotion looks like what are you surrounding yourself in? What, are you in the same sphere as the Lord and trying to press in and engage with him? It's a, it's a heart thing. So he's t- talking to every part of your body. Hey, be in this world, be fully engaged, and commit to these things. While we look forward to the hope, to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. I grew up in um, a Christian church and a Christian family and Christian school. Um, so the hope of Jesus, the message of the gospel, has at times in my life become dull. And it's sometimes been something like, oh, okay, yeah, Jesus came, saved us, cool, like, 
I've heard it a million times. But when I read this, I'm reminded of the power and of the goodness that God came, the wonderful day, God came and, and brought his son, and he saved us. And he's going to return. There is such power in that if you let that really resonate inside of you. Because he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. Jesus wasn't just here just to, hey, willy-nilly, cool, like I'm here, you know, put me on the cross, whatever. Like, he set an example he led, led a radically different life than the people at his time. And he was here to give his life for us to cleanse us of our sin. So the question is, how do you live this life of doing good, being committed to the Lord, being devoted, when you do have things in your life that don't add up, when you are in your household and maybe you're not living the same way in the public eye, what do you do when there's differences and there's, there's some struggles going on that you can tell, like, hey, I'm not, I'm not really living the life that I should be living that exemplifies Jesus? I want to share a personal story that I hope will kind of maybe give some light to this. When I was 13 years old, Again, raised in a Christian school, Christian family, lived in this bubble. I stumbled upon pornography for the first time. And I was in this place of, wow, this feels really wrong. I remember having a gut sensation. But I was too intrigued. I was too curious. I was too enticed. And so during this time of looking at porn for the whole year of my freshman year of high school, I got to this point where I was fed up because I felt ashamed. Remember, 13-year-old mind, I felt ashamed. I felt dirty. I felt worthless. This is not a woman's problem. This is a guy's problem. I am so alone in this. What is wrong with me? God clearly is not with me in this, and I am alone, and I'm going to die before anyone ever knows this about me. That's how severe this shame was for me. And it got to this point where I felt like a hypocrite because I was walking the halls of school, living one way, you know, trying to be kind and generous and loving the Lord and praying for people. And then at home, doing something that I didn't believe was right because it was interfering with my relationship with God. So I was on my knees at youth group one night and I was praying and I said, Lord, please tell me you're with me. Like I was crying didn't know if he still loved me anymore. And on my knees, he met me. And I remember this feeling of an image of a cloud washing over my mind. And I felt peace and I felt grace and I felt love for the very first time. And I was undone. So a few weeks later, after having this miraculous experience, it's not like the temptation went away, I still struggled. But I had this new perspective that God is with me in this struggle. And so a few weeks later, I was at a youth event. And there was an invitation for people to come up and share their stories and testimonies about how God has touched them recently in their life. And I felt compelled in my stomach. It was the only time I truly felt Holy Spirit speak, share, testify, confess. And I said, no, 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 this whole thing, back and forth. Finally, I did. 
And I told my youth group, I told my youth leaders and my friends and my youth pastors what had been going on. And I ended up leaving that event. My parents picked me up. And on the car ride home, oh, guys, Holy Spirit, again, was like, confess to your parents. Oh, talk about awkward. Um, So I ended up telling my parents about this struggle. And I talked about, you know, what I just shared at this youth event. And bless them, I'm sure they were, like, trying to navigate, like, last thing I would expect my daughter to tell me, what do I do, what do I say, what have I done wrong, and who knows. But the conversation didn't go well, to say the least. Um, I remember still feeling very ashamed and vulnerable and raw. And so I get home, and I walk upstairs, and my brother's upstairs playing video games. And the tension is thick. He's like, what is going on? Like, why are mom and dad being weird? Why are you being weird? Like, what's happening? And I thought to myself, you know what, I've told all these people, what's one more? So I told my brother, who at the time was probably like 16 years old, and of course I'm ready for the worst, I'm ready for the judgment, I'm preparing myself for what he's going to say that is just going to be so hurtful. I was ready to lock myself in my room, um, just totally shut the world out. And there he is, I'm telling him this, and he's playing video games. So he's just laying on the couch playing video games. I'm sitting right here and talking to him. And I'm pretty sure while he was still playing video games, after I had told him, he said, Hannah, there's nothing that you can say or do that I probably haven't done before. I love you. That's it. It was so simple, but my heart was so touched. And to this day, those words still get me because I remember what it's like to feel so loved and not judged. I remember what it's like to struggle. I struggled with pornography for eight years. And to remember that there is hope that whatever it is that you're doing behind closed doors, or it doesn't have to just be porn, it can be whatever, but whatever it is in your life that you feel like isn't aligning with who God has called you to be or the truth about who Jesus is, there is so much hope. And so I feel like reflecting on that, just, I just want to remind you guys and encourage you, continue to press on, continue to do good, continue when there's struggle and there's strife, whether it's family, whether it's community, in culture, it all begins in here. That's where the difference starts. You can't go out there and point fingers and say, you need to change. It starts in you. And so the words of my brother, I want to say to you, in a little bit of a different format, and that is, friends, (laughs) there is nothing that you can say or do that Christ didn't die for. He loves you. So press into that hope, hold on to that truth, and let that be what guides you in your life to live a transformed life. It's so possible, and it's so hard. It's been almost two years since the last time I sought out pornography to fill a void. So it's doable. I'm up here testifying to that. So I just want to encourage you guys in that. And I want to invite the worship team back up. And before we go into a time of ministry time, I just want you guys to sit and continue to engage in what what I've just shared. Engage in what's happening in your heart. And I am going to ask you guys in a minute to close your eyes while they're playing music in the background. 
I just want to ask you guys two questions. We'll give like a minute for each for you to sit and reflect. So if you guys can go ahead and close your eyes. The first question is, what's one area in your life you want to experience transformation in? Just sit with that for a minute. What's one area in your life you want to experience transformation in? The second question is, what is preventing that from happening? Ask the Lord. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with him. What's preventing that transformation from happening? I'm going to ask you guys now to open your eyes and stand up as you are able. We're going to press into a time of ministry time. But before that, I just got this sense that as some people are wrestling with that question, that the answer to what's preventing that from happening is you feel really stuck. You don't know what to do, where to go, how to take the next step. And my encouragement to you is just start. You don't have that much power to really mess up your life. God's the one who's in authority. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who has you because he loves you and he made you for a purpose. And so if that is you this morning or if there's other things you're wrestling with, we are going to have our prayer team up here. And I just want to encourage you to ask for prayer. It's a great start engaging and asking someone to pray for you and discerning whatever it is that you need to either let go of or you need to walk towards, whatever that is. So they'll be up here. Worship team's going to lead us into a song and Ryan's going to come back up and close. But please continue to sit with whatever it is the Lord's pressing on in your heart. He wants to speak to you right now.